James and uh, band, thank you. I enjoy the music and uh, always look forward <laughs> to it. Um, I, I don't know some of the songs, but I'm, I'm getting better at them. Every time I come to uh, church here, I am reminded, I reflect back because I am reminded when this church started. And uh, it started, I think, in Bethel Hanbury and on Sunday morning, Eric and Emily uh, would go over, they had a little trailer and they'd get all the, the, set up a little nursery and so forth. And, and I remember that. It started with just the two of them and their family and then I look at it today and I think, God, that is really amazing. It is amazing what God is doing in this place. And Linda and I are so excited to be able to be a part of Village Church and to see what God is doing because I really believe that as you remain in love with Jesus and you remain faithful to his word, that God is going to do such incredible things in this church going forward. None of us can imagine what God is going to do, but remembering how it was there in those uh, first days and looking at it now, I, I just praise the Lord for what he is doing and what he is doing through you. He has brought you here for such a time as this, and what an exciting thing. When I having said that, I think it's a little curious that Eric started a, a series on the family and then he said to me, now I want you to preach about wives. <laughs> that has become a little bit of a controversial issue and I think he might have thrown me under the bus. So let me just say to you before I get into the message that I am very pro-woman. <laughs> My mother was a woman. In fact, that worked out so well, I married a woman. And we had one. I have a daughter. And I have a granddaughter. And uh, I even encouraged Eric to marry a woman. So I just want you to know up front that I am very pro-woman. So you keep that in mind as we look at the message today. I think the reason probably that this has become a controversial issue is because we are told that all are equal. We hear that all the time. Everyone is equal. Men, women, everyone is equal. Now that I believe that we are equal in creation in that God made me and God made you so we are equal in creation but where else are we equal? We're, we're not equal physically. We're not equal intellectually. We are not equal financially. So where then are we equal? We are equal in that we have been created by God. You are created by God. I am created by God. Therefore, we all should have the freedom to be who God wants us to be. But I think that that is the reason we have a problem in this area or questions in this area today because we are told that all are equal. If we are all equal, then we should not have to be submissive. And yet that is a directive of Scripture. The Bible tells us, for instance, that we are to be submissive to government. In 1 Peter chapter, one verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says that we submit ourselves to the government. Why? So that there will be order rather than chaos, rather than anarchy. We know that an employee has to be submissive to the employer so that there will be production. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, 
that we are as husbands and wives to be submissive to each other. In fact, the scripture says in Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another, speaking of husbands and wives, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So how then does that work? How does it work? It says that the husband and the wife are to be submissive to each other. So how does this all work? Well, it says, men, you are to love your wives. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So men, listen to me. Your job is not to make your wife submissive. Your job is to love her. You see, sometimes I, I get around some men and they think it's their job that as the spiritual leader of my home, I am to make my wife submissive. No, that is not your job. Your job is to love her. And wives, your job is to respect him. Because the scripture says in Ephesians 5.33, let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Submission is not a problem when we follow the order that the Lord has given. Now then, I want you to take your Bibles and look with me in 1 Peter chapter 3 in our text today. 1 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse number 1. Peter's giving some instructions here. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of the wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Not your adornment by be, uh, be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, now then in this passage of Scripture, Peter has given to us Sarah as the model for wives. Okay, now then she is the model from which we are going to learn. And as I look at the marriage of Abraham and Sarah, there were some obstacles in that marriage. There were some issues, some problems that they had to deal with. In fact, they had all the problems that we have in modern marriage that causes failure in marriage. First of all, there was the Hagar affair. Possibly you're aware of that, that Abraham fathered a child with Hagar, who was the handmaid of Sarah. Now, she suggested it. God had told Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child. And Sarah looked around and saw that Abraham is about 100 years old and she isn't far behind. 
And because she didn't have that kind of faith in God, she said, you know, Abe, she said, I think probably what God had in mind was that you have a child with Hagar. And he said, you know, Sarah, I think you're on to something. And so he fathered a child with Hagar. Now, even though she suggested it, she resented it. And so when the child was born, because of the resentment, she said to Abraham, drive out the woman and the child. So there was an affair that was had. Then they were a blended family as well. The child born to Hagar was Ishmael, and the child that was eventually born to Sarah was Isaac, and Ishmael was mean to uh, Isaac, and so that caused a problem. The kids weren't getting along. So there was the blended family, and then they were nomads. They traveled from place to place, and she never was able to settle down in a home, in a location. So there were all these problems that they had in their marriage. My guess is that you face obstacles from time to time in your marriage, you who are married. Abraham Lincoln said, marriage is neither heaven nor hell. It is simply purgatory. I'm sure that you have some issues that you deal with in your marriage. Why is that? I mean, when we get married, we don't expect that, do we? Not when we get married. What happens? Well, I, I think it's because we come from different families. We, we come from families that have different understandings as to what marriage is going to be, and that becomes my model. I come from a family, and thus I have this understanding, and the person to whom I'm married comes from a different family, and they have a different understanding as to what marriage is supposed to be. For instance, in my family, we are a very affectionate people, and in my wife's family, they are not. So when Linda and I got married and we would go to see some members of my family, when she came, went in, they all grabbed her and hugged her and she'd go into another room and come back in. They'd get her and hug her again. She thought we were all crazy because that was not her family. Her family was not an affectionate family. They, you, know, you could be gone for five years and they'd shake your hands. Mine, if you go into another room and come back, they're going to hug you. And so that was a little bit strange. We had to work through that. And then my mother cooked. Linda came from a long line of non-cookers. Her daughter doesn't cook. She doesn't cook. Her mother didn't cook. Her grandmother didn't cook. And so when we got married, I thought, who's supposed to cook? Because it wasn't me. We didn't, I didn't cook in my family. My dad didn't cook in my family. And so those were some things we had to work through. I can still remember the refrain when our children were small. Get in the kids, in the car, kids. It's supper time. And that's the way it was when ours were growing up. But we had to work through all those things because, you see, you come from different families, thus you have different understandings. We understand finances different. Maybe you came from a family where they saved money and your spouse came from a family where they spent money and then that's an issue that you have to work through. My wife believes that money is simply something you trade for something you want. And my granddaughter has bought into that. 
Our roles are different. We learn our roles from the family in which we grew up. I, I, my understanding of what a husband was to be, I learned from my dad. But my wife's understanding as to what a husband was, she learned from her dad, and that was different. So there are obstacles to submission, but if we yield to God's plan, then submission to each other is not a burden. Sarah and Abraham faced difficulty in their marriage, but they were successful. They survived those early years of marriage, going from his understanding and her understanding to their understanding. Psychologists say that that takes about 25 years. Now, I know that's going to be discouraging for some of you who are young in your marriage. Think, man, I've still got 20 years to go before we get through this. But it takes a long time for you to go from my understanding and her understanding to our understanding. They survived those early years. They made it through those dreadful middle years. And I have found it was strange to me when I began to discover that, but there are a lot of divorces in the middle years, 40s and 50s during that time. I think that that, that probably is because the children are gone, and now then all of a sudden we're here by ourselves, and we find out that we don't know each other. Someone said that youth looks forward, old age looks back, and middle age looks worried. And that's a pretty good description, but they made it through those. They made it through those, those early years. They made it through the middle years, and then they made it through old age when you're more rheumatic than you are romantic. They were successful. And I'm saying that you can be successful in your marriage as well, but here's, I thought about this not, not long ago, and I think that there is some profundity to it. Why is it that there are so many people who get married and then it falls apart along the way. What happens? And this is my conclusion. We marry based on attraction. What attracts me? What is it? Is it? I mean, maybe it's the way that a person looks. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it is something else. But we marry based on attraction. We stay married based on shared values. It is shared values that keep us married. So I would say to you young people who are not yet married, don't just marry someone because you are attracted to someone. Marry someone who shares your values with you because that is what is going to keep you married. So Sarah then is the model. And then the Bible says that you are her daughters. Verse number 6. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So then, you now are the daughters of Sarah. Sarah is the model that we're looking at for a wife. And you are the daughters of Sarah. Now, she had the right attitude. But did you notice in there that she called Abraham Lord? I tried that with Linda. I said, you know, I mean, if Sarah called Abraham Lord, maybe you should call me Lord. And she, she didn't buy into that. But I, I, and, and, the, and the fact is, I think that it may be a humorous response coming from Sarah. I know it would be coming from my wife, but I think it probably was coming from her because when the angel said that they were going to have a child, 
Listen to this, Genesis 18, 12, and Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. So it might have had a tinge of humor. I'm not sure, but it might have. But her attitude was right. She understood that submission is an obligation. Now, folks, here's the problem that we have with submission. We think if we submit to someone, that is an indication I am inferior to someone. Right? Isn't that the reason we have a problem submitting? Because if I submit, it means that I am inferior to the one to whom I submit. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus... In his role as son, though he was one with the father, submitted himself to the father, right? He was one with the father, but he submitted himself to the father. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was one with the Father, three and one, one and three, one with the Father, equal with the Father but he submitted himself in the role of the son. We are to submit ourselves in the roles that we share. So she understood that submission is an obligation for a follower of God, but submission is also an opportunity. Now look at verse number one in our text. In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even If any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now, this implies that these wives were Christians and their husbands were not. That is the implication. So then, how does a wife lead her non-Christian husband to faith when women at that time were considered to be property. That was true in Jewish law. Barclay wrote, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was owned by her husband in exactly the same way as he owned his sheep and his goats. That was not only true in Jewish law, that was true in Greek society. Barclay said, in in Greek civilization, the duty of the woman was to remain indoors and to be obedient to her husband. It was also the law of Rome. Under Roman law, a woman had no rights. In law, she remained forever a child. That was the day in which this was given. So then, how does a woman lead her husband to Christ when she is considered to be his property. Now, if you notice there in verse number one, he says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one 
without a word by the behavior of their wives, that they may be one without a word. Now, wives, I think this is important, especially if you have a non-believing husband. How do you lead him to Christ without a word? Now, that is not speaking of the gospel because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, so the gospel is necessary for salvation. So it's, it's not speaking about the gospel, what you're speaking about without a word. It's speaking about nagging. You will never nag your husband into the kingdom. That isn't going to happen. You will never be able to nag your husband into the kingdom. Red Skelton said, I married Miss Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. I heard about a woman who was in love with the Lord. She had become a Christian. Boy, she wanted her husband to come to the Lord, and he was not. And she, she was bothered by the things that he did. And so she used to, she used to paste a scripture verse on the six-pack of beer that he would bring home that said, wine is a mocker. Well, you're not going to win your husband to the Lord that way. He says, not without a word, but by their behavior, by their behavior. You're not going to nag your husband into the kingdom, but by their behavior. Augustine wrote about his mother. He said, she served him, her husband, as her Lord and did her diligence to win him unto thee, preaching thee unto him by her behavior. Ruth Graham said, it is the woman's job to love her husband. It is God's job to make him good. So she was right in her attitude. She was right in her adornment. There are two kinds of beauty. There's external in verse number three. He says, and let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. So in the ancient world, beauty was given to extravagance. In the ancient world, women would, uh, they would stud their hair with gold and silver and precious jewels. Their clothing and their hair and their jewelry were extravagant. Lucius Valerius wrote, women cannot hold public office or priesthoods or gain triumphs. They have no public occupations. What they can do then is to devote themselves to adornment and dress. And that's what they did. That's what this is all about. That's what they did. So if you look again in verse number three, he says, and let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. The reason I want to put, point that out is that I grew up in an area where there were those who, uh, particular Christians who took that passage of scripture and they said it means then that a woman is not to use jewelry, she's not to wear makeup and so forth that that is a sin. Well, you'll notice that it also says in there, and wearing of dresses. So if the woman is not supposed to wear makeup or jewelry, then she's not supposed to wear dresses either. So I just wanted to point that out to you because I think that that, that is a mistake. I think that a woman should look as good as she can. And so the idea that she's not supposed to wear makeup or jewelry because it's sinful, if she chooses not to, that's fine. But because it's sinful, I do not believe to be scriptural. So there's external beauty and then there's internal beauty in verse number four. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. You see, true beauty is internal. Always has been. True beauty is internal. He says it's imperishable. 
true beauty is imperishable. Now, I think that that, uh, that, is, uh, that that is wonderful because Father Time and Mother Nature takes its toll. And we all eventually end up with a Supreme Court figure. No appeal. <laughs> but he says here that you are to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And the word that is used there speaks of serenity. It speaks of someone who is at peace with God and with self. Someone who is at peace with God and themselves. That does not mean that a woman is to be mousy and quiet and sit in the corner. In fact, I have always loved feisty women. I mean, I, my, my wife is that way. My daughter is that way. And I, I, I just, I don't want you, I want you to be who God has made you to be. Who has God made you to be? Be the best person you can be that God created. So she was right in her attitude. She was right in adornment. She was right in her activity. In verse 6 it says that she obeyed Abraham. The word literally means to meet his needs. And listen, there are those who study this passage of Scripture and believe that this is a reference to his sexual needs. We have a real problem today with sexual needs being met outside the marriage relationship. Men, your sexual needs are not to be met in an affair, in pornography, but by your wife. And the Bible says in Proverbs 5.19, as a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. You are daughters of Sarah. And finally and quickly, I have to say a word to the men. I know that that is not my assignment, but you see, in biblical times, in this time, women had an obligation to their husbands, but husbands did not have an obligation to their wives. So Peter says in verse number seven, you husbands likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Be considerate of your wife. He says live with her. The word live with means more than sharing an address. It means to spend time with. And men, some of you spend more time hunting, fishing, golfing than you do with your wife. Spend time with her. He said, in an understanding way. I hate to bring this up because I'm not always good at this. In an understanding way means that you hear what she says and know what she means, and they are seldom the same. See, I've never been a mind reader, and I miss it a lot of times, but that's what that means. You hear what she says, and you know what she means. I can give you this. When your wife says, how do I look? 
She's not looking for fine. She's looking for you look beautiful. Hear what she says. Know what she means. Be considerate. Be courteous. He says grant her honor. That means precious. Respect her thoughts, her feelings, and her desires. And then did you notice he said we are fellow heirs. You and your wife are fellow heirs. Long ago, I said to Linda, Linda, you and I are in the same boat. Either one of us can sink it or we both can row it. And she's been rowing the boat with me for 55 years. We are fellow heirs, not only husband and wife, but children of God. The wife completes her husband, and the husband cherishes his wife. Peter has written this word to husbands and wives with a challenge to treat each other biblically. And when you do, that is a satisfying marriage. Abraham and Sarah were married a long time, and she died. And the Bible says in Genesis 23, 1 and 2, Now Sarah lived 127 years, and Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He loved her to the end. There's a little church in Iowa. It's called the Little Brown Church. And when people get married, a man and a woman get married, at the end of the ceremony, the pastor would escort the bride and groom back to the back of the church to the vestibule. And there's a bell tower there and a rope that's attached to the bell. And he would say to the new bride, you have the honor of ringing the bell. And she would get hold of the rope and pull it, but she couldn't ring the bell. And then the pastor would say, give her a hand. And the groom would get hold with her, and they would both pull and ring the bell. And then the pastor said, always remember, as you pull together, you can ring the bell. Husbands and wives, as you pull together, you can ring the bell. Our Father, I come to you and lift up husbands and wives and perhaps today some who are going through difficulties. I pray that there might be a renewed commitment to you and to each other, that their marriage might be strong and satisfying and honoring of God. But I pray that you will bless them, Lord, that this will be more than an hour that they have spent together in church. But, Lord, that it might be a spirit that moves in their heart and puts great and deep love for each other. Bless them, I ask in Jesus' name.